Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I know you've got a little magic hangout, rest and relaxation going this weekend. How's that? It's great so far, yeah. Uh, my buddy Stunlock, FTW, moderator to the stars, invited me down. He was like, hey, I, Wednesday, he was like, hey, I'm having some friends over this weekend. Do you want to come down and visit me in Charlotte, North Carolina? And I was like, this is so last minute. Like, I can't do that. And then like by noon that day, I was like, well, let me just see what flights are like. like I don't know. I got nothing else going on this weekend. I know that I can record the podcast from his house and that's what I'm doing. So yeah, just hanging out. Played a lot of games yesterday. I learned three new like game, like board games slash card games yesterday, which is a lot for me. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So it was fun. I'm having a having a good weekend so far. How about you? How's summer break treating you? Oh, it's good. You know, playing in a concert band, doing some golf, drafting big scores, you know, living the life. <laughs> <laughs> playing some scores on stage and drafting big scores on arena. You love to see it. Yeah. Apparently, I'm also watching Whiplash soon. I don't know. That's right. Oh, that's right. I got to take to the Twitter streets again today to continue my campaign to bully you into watching Whiplash. It'll happen. The It'll thing happen. I'm most embarrassed about is you remember that person like five years ago donated yeah. like $20 for me to watch Whiplash. And for whatever reason, that made me really not want to watch it <laughs> because somebody was trying to pay me to watch it. I don't know. It felt like a sellout if I watched it or something. <laughs> if you're still listening, if you're still a fan of the pod and you were the person who donated $20 to Ben, get on Twitter and bully him. Ask for your $20 back. <laughs> Tell him you want a refund. All right. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about Streets of New Capenna because I know you've been big scoring it up and we'll be going through a little round table. They, they extended the Alchemy event, which I'm kind of surprised by. It was supposed to be over last Monday. And yesterday I was at the airport and I was like, eh, I got a like hour and a half layover. I guess I'll play some magic on my phone. And I opened it up. I was like, oh, I'd like to feel some pain. So I did an <laughs> Alchemy draft myself and had a great deck and promptly went 2-3. Um, like you do, like you do. Um, uh, but so we're going to still talk about that a little bit. And then we've got Theros Beyond Death coming to Arena next Friday or this Friday um, for a week in Premier Draft. And we were just looking on 17 lands because I was like, is this the first time that we've seen Theros not as a bot draft on Arena? And it looks like it is. Yeah, this is going to be sweet. We'll get some 17 lands data logged with the human drafts. And I think, you know, this format is unique in that I hated it at the start of the <laughs> format. One of my least favorites ever at the start of the format. And I think it is the only format in Magic history that has had an upward trajectory the entire course of the format for me. It ended with me appreciating it quite a bit. So we'll see when I come back to it how I feel. I might do two drafts and hate it again. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. I, I, you, you put the line at three drafts total. I bet you do more. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I don't know. We'll see. And I mean, I'm, I'm slightly feeling like we'll, we'll have a pretty big edge, right? Because a lot of people who are going to be drafting it have never drafted it or have never drafted it with humans before. So maybe we and our listeners can have a little edge for the first few days. That'll be fun. Oh, right. This was still back when we were drafting on Magic Online. Yeah. Woo, this format is old. It's old, baby, just like us. So, so us, us, uh, <laughs> us boomers are going to come out and school some zoomers here. So we got we got a full uh, uh, episode here talking about Theros back from the dead, and we'll be you know giving you all the info that we have synthesized from all of our episodes from before, and, and talking about what you need to know to go into your first drafts, or also to dust off the cobwebs for folks who did draft back in the day. But it was what two years ago now. Um, so we definitely want to want to do that for for the fine folks out there. But first things first, we got a few housekeeping things to take care of. Let's talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We've got a lot of sweet perks over at the Patreon. Actually, flashback drafts are a great time 
to get in on the Discord. We always say Discord is great for new sets, but it's also great for flashback sets. You know, we take out some channels that have been archived, bring them up to the top of the Discord, get all the other subsequent channels for that format, you know, like what's the play, what's the pick, draft log review, trophy decks, all that good stuff. So you can just get that huge info dump started right from the get-go with other folks in the Discord. As you move up the reward tier ranks of the Patreon page, you get a lot of other sweet perks as well. Um, So check that out if you want to give back to the show, if you want to get some uh, some perks from us. And we always like to give back to the folks. And we also want to make sure that we shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. This week, we are welcoming Justin, Pasquale, and Jake. Jacob, thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I just want to echo what you said about the Discord. I was prepping for this episode, pulled up the Discord, went, looked at some deck lists from the trophy channels and was like, oh, yeah, I remember this format, you know, read through the spoiler on Scryfall and I was I was caught up. I felt felt good to go. And the Discord was a part of that I was scrolling through the big picture channel. So, yeah, great resource confirmed. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, ChannelFireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Right now, the big thing at Channel Fireball for sale is the Battle for Baldur's Gate sealed product. So if you are of the commander playing variety of magic player and you want some battle for Baldur's gate product head on over to channelfireball.com to pick that up maybe you also play constructed who knows you might be might be one of those rare folks who like limited and constructed and they've got singles for pioneer maybe you're getting back into paper magic now that that's starting to sort of come back the competitive scene all that so if you need singles sealed product anything please head over to channel fireball and use code lol all caps when you check out over there to let them know that we sent you all right so let's stay a little current here for folks still doing streets of new capenna streets of new capenna alchemy draft and show me a little round table action ben i expect to see nothing less than a pack one pick one big score <laughs> we're not going quite that deep i'm not <laughs> not quite that lost in the sauce <laughs> okay 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 what do you got for us although my proudest moment my older brother texted me a deck pick that had big score and was splashing all this nonsense and he said went 7-0 and it was Ooh. a symphony wow a symphony a big score symphony you love to see it all right Pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. In the commons, there's nothing great. Best white common is Gathering Throng, two and white for the 3-1. When ETBs, you can search any number of other copies of Gathering Throng out of your deck. There's Celestial Regulator, one white blue for the 2-3 flyer. When ETBs, choose target creature you don't control and tap it. And then if you have a creature with a counter on it, that creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. In the uncommons, there's Syndicate Infiltrator, two blue black for a 3-3 flyer. As long as there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard, it gets plus two, plus two. And then in the alchemy packs, there's the potential for two rares because there's a dedicated alchemy slot. And so we were fortunate enough to get two rares in this pack. Our alchemy rare is Herald of Vengeance, probably one of the best alchemy cards in the set. This is three white white for a four five angel flying. When ETBs destroy each permanent you don't control that has the same name as a permanent that dealt damage to you last turn. Card is pretty busted. And then our normal rare is getaway car, three mana for the four three haste. When it attacks your blocks, return up to one target creature that created this turn to its owner's hand, and it's got a crew cost of one. This was my my maximum pain when I was uh, playing my little alchemy draft in the airport yesterday was <laughs> game game one. And I had a pretty good, I mean, sort of scrapping for two drops, but like got to play a bunch of good white cards. I was white, green, splash, uh, blue, I believe, or no, white, green, splash, red for double Rocco and had Mysterious Limousine. And I had the busted white uncommon alchemy enchantment that like searches up all those angels. Um, just like a really good deck. My opponent on the play went turn two, two drop, turn three, getaway car attack. I play a thing on turn three. They play turn four, the blue alchemy card that bounces something and makes uh-huh. it more expensive. Cruise that with getaway car, returns that card. Ooh, and I was like, the soft lock. Cool. Right click concede. <laughs> let's let's go to the next game. Um, <laughs> yeah, getaway car is pretty darn good. But Herald of Vengeance is busted. 
Yeah, Herald of Vengeance is the slam dunk pick here. Was glad to pick that up, pack one, pick one. I'd been on the losing end of it, but I had not cast it yet. Oh, nice. So pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. In the commons, there is nothing very good. There's literal yeah. no white cards other than Boon of Safety to follow up Herald, which is the white instant put a shield counter on target creature, Scry one. Other commons that might be in contention, Halo Scarab, two mana for the two one. You can exile it from your graveyard for two mana to make a treasure token. There's an Exhibition Magician or Big Score Light, as I have started calling it. <laughs> uh, Tune right for the 2-1. When ETBs, you make a 1-1 one, one or a treasure token. How are you not calling it Little Score? <laughs> terrible. Wow. Terrible. Big Score Light. My goodness. I mean, some people have a gift for naming things. Others don't. <laughs> and then moving on to the uncommons, there's a Hypnotic Grifter. Blue for the 1-2. You can pay 3 to have it connive. And then our alchemy card is Big Spender. This is one of the less powerful ones. It's one yeah. in a red for a 2-1 with haste. Um, and whenever one of your creatures becomes blocked, you make a treasure token. And then you can sacrifice two treasures to draft a card from its spellbook. And its spellbook is not very good. No, its spellbook is like a bunch of clunky artifacts. Yes. And then wiretapping is our rare in the pack. Four and a blue for the enchantment with hideaway five. And whenever you draw your first card during each of your draw steps, you draw another card. And then if you ever are fortunate enough to have nine or more cards in your hand, you can play the hideaway card uh, without paying its mana cost. So I see you've selected wiretapping here. Do you believe this is the correct pick? I do actually believe this is wow. the correct pick. Do you not? I would have taken Grifter. I don't particularly like wiretapping. I have come around on wiretapping. There have been enough games. I think wiretapping is really good in maestros. Like the maestros decks that want to kill everything. And I do think that's a very reasonable deck to draft in this format. There's a lot of removal running around, especially in the alchemy version, that if you can keep the board somewhat under control, wiretapping is just then your win condition. I think it is a powerful card if you buy yourself the time to land it and a lot of the decks i'm trying to play these days are trying to buy themselves time anyway so like think about wiretapping as like arcane bombardment light or whatever arcane bombardment small small arcane bombardment <laughs> <laughs> there's the there's the naming convention that's really good but really uh, good yeah i think it does a similar thing it's not quite as powerful as arcane bombardment but ultimately it lets you pull ahead of your opponent after you stabilize and you're not worried about like i'm starting off the draft with two five drops here like hypnotic grifter is just good right and it's cheap you have to do work for hypnotic grifter to be good it's not a card till you invest three mana into it so it's kind of like a three drop i mean it's not a one drop per yeah. se well you know? yeah that's fair that's fair all right i i respect the wiretapping pick you've been playing a lot more streets than i have the past couple weeks yeah, I like wiretapping here. And Hypnotic Grifter is totally fine, too. I mean, it's a close pick, but I, I think the style of decks I've been drafting, wiretapping lends itself to more than Grifter does. Nice. Okay, that makes sense. Moving on to pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. There's a Riveteer's Overlook, the Riveteer's Fetch Land. In the rest of the commons, there's like a Corrupt Court Official, one in a black for the 1-1 one, one when ETBs target opponent discards a card. And honestly, that's about it. Literal no white commons other than a Shattered Seraph in the pack. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's Swooping Protector, three and a white for the 2-1 Flash Flying when ETBs, it has a shield counter on it. And then there's also Out of the Way, three and a blue for the instant, costs two less to cast if it targets a green permanent, and you return target non-land permanent opponent controls to its owner's hand, and you draw a card. Yeah, this pretty quickly comes down to Out of the Way and Swooping Protector as, you know, good cards, the best cards in the pack, and good follow-ups to your white rare and your blue rare. 
I would personally take Swooping Protector here because I think these cards are pretty close. I mean, I think Out of the Way is better if this were pack one, pick one. I think I would take Out of the Way. But Herald of Vengeance is such a busto card that I really want to be able to play it if at all possible. So I think I would take Protector here. I mean, I'm just assuming I'm going to splash Herald of Vengeance off a big score. So I'm not not really worried about getting into white necessarily. If white's (laughs) open, I'll draft it. But I don't feel like Swooping Protector is going to sell. It's not the tipping point for me to draft white. I love this. This is great. Like, I feel like I'm giving the draft advice from like two weeks ago. And you're like, no, no, no. This is the this is how you draft now. You just anticipate that you're going to get pushed off of white and that you're going to get three big scores. Yeah, perfect. Uh, So I actually selected out of the way as the better card here. And I think... I was willing potentially if white was super cut and I didn't draft nonsense to abandon Herald of Vengeance. Um, so took out out of the way here. Pack one, pick three. Moving on to pack one, pick four. Tough pack. There's, again, no great white cards. There's Spar's Adjudicators, uh, the Broker's Family Fixer. There's Revelation of Power. One in a white instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If it has a counter on it, it also gains flying and lifelink. There's another Exhibition Magician, aka Little Score. And then there's Crooked Custodian as potentially the best black common. We're just calling it, right? Best no, black no, no, no. I we I I luckily cut that out of last week's episode because we both just forgot that Girder Goons existed. <laughs> oh, Rip, not the best black common. Second best black common. But second best, I will give to Crooked Custodian, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't know you cut it out of the episode. I did cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> to spare us our shame. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, well, you got to leave this one in for the lols now. The truth sure, is out. For sure, This is why we edit the podcast, everyone. Yeah. All right, Crooked Custodian, one in a black for the 3-2 ETBs tapped. And then, honestly, nothing else really in consideration here, I don't think. There's a deal gone bad, three and a black, instant, target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. But if you're getting into black, I think you have to take the two drop here. You didn't name the best card in the pack, though. Tavern Swindler? Pyre Sledge Arsonist. (laughs) Please, (laughs) sir. No. Sir, please. No. It's my favorite. Okay, my favorite card in the pack, then. Yeah. Um, But I wouldn't take it here. Yeah, I would take Custodian, for sure. I think it's the best card in the pack. And... You're looking great for like dipping your toe deeper into blue rather than deeper into white as well. I thought you were setting up for a huge slam dunk on G guards there with the tavern swindler lols. That's what I was trying no. to tee you up for. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I was trying to dunk on myself. So Only self dunks here. For any of you that don't get that reference, G guards, another streamer along with two cubed who have a great podcast called Mystical Dispute. It's like a short form debate podcast that you should check out if you're not already listening to. For sure. So yeah, I agree with your custodian pick, pack one, pick four. So now we've got custodian out of the way, wiretapping and herald of vengeance. Moving on to pick five, where things really are not going great for the herald of vengeance. Uh, literal no white card of the pack, no white pip to be found. So we are pretty confident at this point that white is getting cut. And you see the following cards as options. There's Maestro's Theater, the Maestro's Fetch Land. There's Exhibition Magician. In the Uncommons, all three still here. Stimulus Package, two red green. When ETBs, you make two treasure tokens, and you can sack a treasure to make a 1-1 one, one green and white citizen creature token. And then there's also Cormella Glamour Thief, one blue-black-red for the 2-4 with haste. And you can pay one tap to add Maestro's Mana, blue-black-red that you can only spend to cast instant or sorcery spells. And when Cormella dies, you can return an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I have not been that impressed by Cormella, even with the like l- potential loop-de-loops you can do with like dig up the body or uh, fake your own death, whatever. But you do have two blue cards and a black card, so maybe worth taking here. It's a little early to take dig up the body, I think. I think it's a little early. You know, I, 
I think a lot of folks would look at this pack and maybe take Meister's Theater as well, be like, well, I'm looking like I'm blue-black. As we've said in the past, I really don't think you want to be taking lands this early. Stimulus Package seems like the fun pick, but I think Cormella would be my pick here. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. There was no good options, and like this pick doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things if you're trying to draft, quote-unquote, correctly. I think it does matter in a sense. Like... I like the speculation. So Ben selected stimulus package here. And there is something to be said about speculating on like, okay, maybe I'm going to get pushed off of this. I do think package potentially has the highest upside of a card in in, in this pack um, in terms of it's a real, if the red green treasure based deck is open, which is again, another, which is a deck we know that you like to draft, which is a deck that we know is capable of still playing Herald of Vengeance then you will miss it if you pass up on package here and that deck is open. Whereas similarly, I think you, if blue black is open, you may also miss Cormella, you know? So I don't, I don't know if this pick doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fair. I, to me, the two cards I was considering were stimulus package and exhibition magician. Cause to me, this pack says mm. white, white is cut. And I mm-hmm. do really want to play Herald. So I want to try to get myself into red so that I can get big scores in all seriousness. I do think that is like a legitimate plan at this point with a card as powerful as Herald of Vengeance. Yeah. So you're just like, okay, I want to play this card. White is clearly not open. How do I still play this card? I need to get treasures. So let me try and get myself into red green. Right. And that also gives you access to strangle, which is one of the best cards you can have to support wiretapping. So I, right. I, it, this was me saying, OK, I'm going to try to draft this deck I wanted to draft anyway. But I think it actually is kind of reasonable and responsible to do here, given what we've seen so far. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to hear all that like explanation, right? Like you're taking stimulus package for a lot of reasons. You're probably not taking it if Herald of Vengeance isn't a double pipped powerful card to splash in a color that is obviously cut, you know? Yes, correct, correct, correct. Yeah. All right. There you have it. Sweet. Well, let's take a quick ad break and then we'll be back to talk about Theros Beyond Death. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when we first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, we thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash lol. That's mintmobile.com slash lol. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash LOL. And now back to the show. All right, Ben. Theros Beyond Death coming to Arena Premier Draft. Here's what you need to know. First things first is if you want to go back, you know, you've got the whole week leading up to Friday, I guess is when it goes live. If you want to go back and check out a bunch of our episodes, starts with the Crash Course is episode 133 leading up to 50 Takes is episode 143. Ben, do you even believe that this was a format where we got to do a PT draft log review? Ooh, nice. I think this was the last one. I mean, I know we did one for Worlds uh, last year or two years ago, but I think this was like the last PT before the pandemic hit. 
love armchair quarterbacking all the MTG pros. That was great. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to those, I definitely did because uh, rip us having our our show notes for the 50 takes episode anymore. So I went back and listened to that. And unlike going back to our first episode, I didn't find it, you know, excruciatingly embarrassing. I was like, oh, this sounds pretty good. This is pretty good. So first and foremost, I would say the thing that you you remember most when I say Theros beyond death, what do you remember? I remember Dream Trawler. That is the first card yeah. that comes to mind. Dream Trawler followed by, I think, Traveler's Amulet and uh, whatchamacallit, the one in a red Thrill of Possibility. Yeah, I think that's true. So I, I think first and foremost, this is a bomb forward format, a prince format, whatever, however you want to say it. This is very similar to Vow, right? It feels like a, a similar set to, to Crimson Vow in that the cards that really matter, matter, and the rest, not so much. There's a pretty big gap, you know, past the the best commons, whatever. But then, you know, the, the bombs that you open or the bombs that you can get past, you're really incentivized to try and make those cards work. And I think that's just going to be even heightened more in best of one. Um, so we're talking about, and I'm not going to just read what these cards do. We'll definitely read the text of like the commons and uncommons, but bombs to look out for. Ashiok Nightmare Muse, Heliod Suncrowned, Kiora Bests the Sea God, Pelucranos Unchained, Archon of Sun's Grace, Dream Trawler, Elspeth Conquers Death, Shadow Spear, much, much more. There are a ton of powerful bombs in this format. That is wild. Those are still some of the better cards in the arena cubes. Yep. Right? Like, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So I think in this format, you're trying to find those cards that matter, maximize them as much as possible. And if not, if you don't get those, that's where I remember getting really frustrated is if you start a draft without direction, some mm -hmm. of the commons are so low powered that it just felt hard to find a direction like it felt hard to read signals and hard to draft but i think if you don't get those bombs you're trying to build a deck that goes underneath those bombs most likely red white blue red also comes together with a lot of commons that can be a very aggressive tempo style deck has some counter spells maybe to nab your opponent's bomb when they go to cast it but you're definitely trying to be proactive if you don't have a bomb in your deck absolutely yeah really really want to be proactive slash i think like you know don't try and draft the hard way because this is such a, a sort of warped format in terms of the top end being so heavy where the power is that like get deep into one color in pack one if you're not seeing power to keep yourself as open as possible in pack two to seeing something else right we can sort of break free of the shell of the five color pair set that streets of new capenna is and really open ourselves up try and get deep in one color try and open or get past something powerful in pack two or maybe even pack three just remember back to all the things we were talking about with how to how to have success in vow yes the next thing that i remember was the color imbalance black is the best color in theros beyond death by a lot yeah it was terrible feeling in the drafts like you just started with black card black card black card and then we're like oh black's cut i guess i can either like hold on for dear life or pivot into other colors that don't have nearly as good of cards as black i just remember feeling terrible about that game of chicken where you were like who's gonna abandon ship on black first because the whole table was trying to bl draft black well similar to how i feel like i'm excited to to flex my my crimson vow muscles in theros beyond death coming back i'm i'm a little excited to flex my streets of new capenna muscles of like you know i feel like i was m very willing to move off of black cards or a start for black in theros beyond death back in the day because i was like i don't want to fight over this color but i do feel like if i start off a draft with like a freak spawn and a myers grasp it's not going to take much more before i go 
deal with it table. I'm drafting black. Like <laughs> you're going to, you're going to have to fight me in both directions to push me off of this color, you know, which is sort of how I feel in streets. I'm like, if I start off with an overseer and a Rafine's informant and a civil servant, that's about it. It's going to be tough for you to push me off of white here. Yeah. And I think, so if we dive into the rest of the colors, so black the best by quite a bit, I think white coming in at a solid second place, slightly mm-hmm. better than red. And I think red and blue were kind of equal to each other. Red, red in third place, probably, but very close. I think so. Yeah. And then green definitely bringing up the rear, which was weird because all the hype at the beginning of the format was black, green escape, like black, green's the best yes. deck, black, green's the best deck. And I just don't think that ended up being the case because of how poor green was as an individual color. Right. It, it just felt like green gave the black escape cards more redundancy or whatever, but it wasn't that important. I agree. Green played a, like a fine-ish support color to a lot of the other colors, but if green was your base color, I think you really needed it to be for for you know more powerful cards at rare or whatever. Yeah. Another thing about this format, fans of removal can rejoice because according to <laughs> according to our 50 takes episode, four of the five top commons were removal spells. So coming in at number one, we had Meyer's Grasp as the best commons. There's one and a black for an enchantment. And there is an enchantment theme in Theros Beyond Death. There are creatures that are enchantments. There's a, a keyword called uh, Constellation, which cares about enchantments entering the battlefield. Um, so Meyer's Grasp is one and a black for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets minus three, minus three. Cards that let you search up enchantments and Heliod's right, Pilgrim. Right. That was two and a white for a one, two that went at ETB. You could search your library for an aura card. So you could just tutor up the best removal spell in the set. Pretty nice. Yep. In the number two slot was Dreadful Apathy. This was two and a white for an aura that said enchanted creature can't attack or block. And then you could pay two and a white to exile the enchanted creature. So this was during our big heyday of having a tirade against pacifism and pacifism variants. But Dreadful Apathy is the real deal for a couple of reasons. And and going back to listening to the 50 Takes episode, here was our, our hot take that I agree with, which is that Apathy is actually better than Banishing Light, which is the uncommon white removal spell. Two and a white enchantment comes into play and exiles a non-land permanent until Banishing Light leaves the battlefield. Um, the fact that Apathy has the potential to exile the thing for good rather than sitting under a Banishing Light that can then be blown up. Um, and the fact that, you know, you can use Apathy to exile the thing. Apathy goes to your graveyard. Then that can help you fuel escape cards, which we'll talk about in a second. Or you can recur it with things to let you bring back enchantments. Or you can do this really cool thing with a card called Flicker of Fate, which you want to be on the lookout for if you have a couple Apathies. Flicker of Fate is an instant one in a white exile target creature or enchantment and then return it to the battlefield. So either your opponents or your own, right? If your opponent goes to use like a fight spell, you can you know flicker their thing or your thing or whatever. But you can do this very cool thing if you hold control where if you activate the exile clause on apathy and then go to flicker it in response. So then you get to move the apathy to some other creature, but that exile thing is still going to happen. So you get to exile the creature it was initially on. Yeah. Also, one of the only ways to deal with Dream Trawler in the set because that rare has hexproof. But this trick with dreadful apathy gets around hexproof because you're not actually targeting when the dreadful apathy comes back from being flickered. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, that and like entrancing liar to like keep it at bay or keep like the hexproof parody there. Those were like your only ways really to cleanly deal with that card. Yeah. Number three, we have Final Death. Big black clunky removal is back with a vengeance here. Final Death is four and a black for an instant. Exile target creature. Which sounds terrible, but I don't know that we can overstate this enough. Exiling is so important because one, cards that go to the graveyard are fuel for your opponent's escape cards. 
And then you also need to be able to exile your opponent's escape cards. And if we haven't mentioned that, I guess we haven't said what escape does for people that are new to the format. So escape is another mechanic in the set where, say there's a card that's a 4-1 for 2 and a green, and it has escape 3. You can cast it from your graveyard by paying its casting cost plus exiling 3 cards from your graveyard. So whatever the escape cost is, that's however many cards you need to exile from your graveyard. And you can just do that an infinite number of times. So cards that have escape can be cast over and over and over again as long as there is fuel for them in the graveyard so this was actually this is all coming back to me now too this was the format where people were like sweet i should play 55 card green black decks so that i have you know infinite fuel for my green black escape cards but that was those were pretty few and far between cases but by and large the the rares were great so if your opponent had great rares they were gonna play ways to recur them so it was also really important to be able to exile rares permanently too so your opponent couldn't use reanimate or you know return from the graveyard of the hand type effects on their rares exactly yeah exile is really 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 important next up there's aroas's blessing this is a red enchantment this is three and a red and enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and whenever aroas's blessing enters the battlefield it deals four damage to target creature it's twisted embrace baby for folks who haven't played this set but have played uh, neon dynasty yes very good card yeah And lastly here, perhaps a surprise, we have Omen of the Sea coming up as the number five best common in the set. This is So there's a cycle of omens. So they all are these enchantments with flash. They enter the battlefield, they do something, and they all have the ability uh, for two and the color that they are. So for this one, it'll be two and a blue. Sacrifice the enchantment, scry two. So Omen of the Sea, what it does is it's like preordain, right? Sea ordain is what this was called. So it's one and a blue enchantment as flash comes into play, you scry two and then you draw a card. So pretty good card um it's sort of weird to see like a cantripping you know card we would never put opt as like the best blue common what was so special about omen of the sea well the reason was what we've alluded to already was the cards that mattered mattered so much more than all the filler and your decks had filler in them just by nature of how steeply the commons dropped off after the top couple of commons so omen of the sea lets you dig towards your good cards, as well as in blue, there just was an excellent flash package with Omen of the Sea. There was like this card called Vexing Gull that was two in a blue for a flash 2-2 flyer. There was a counter spell called Deny the Divine that you could hold up for three mana that countered creatures. So blue had a, an operating at instant speed package in it. And Omen of the Sea was the card that really tied the rim together because it lets you play at instant speed while also helping you find your good cards. Absolutely. All right, we'll take one more quick break, and then we're going to be back to break down all top commons of each color. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or low-carb like me. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness, all things important for grinding those weekend magic tournaments. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. 
To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. All right, let's start off talking about white. We've already alluded to how good dreadful apathy is. And you talked about Heliod's Pilgrim uh, for a bit. This is the the two in a white, one, two, ETBs and searches up and aura. And so you wanted to have a nice mix of like, do I have removal spell auras like Myers Grasp or Dreadful Apathy to go find? And then there were also augmentation auras as well. Like we got to talk about Sentinel's Eyes, your favorite card in the set. Love Sentinel's Eyes. So this is white for an aura that gives a creature plus one, plus one and vigilance. And it has escape for two. And then you can pay. So a white exile two cards to cast it from your graveyard. This card was annoying as sin to play against or it was awesome to play with because vigilance is just a really powerful limited mechanic in general made it very difficult for your opponent to race. But also there's a mechanic called heroic that cares about your creatures getting targeted by spells. So Sentinel's Eyes was a way to continually target your own creatures to trigger heroic over and over again. Yeah. The other card on this list of top white commons is Pious Wayfarer. This is single white for a 1-2, and it has Constellation. And for folks who played with Constellation way back in the day, uh, Constellation was on enchantment creatures before. In this set, it's not on any enchantment creatures, just on regular creatures. So Pious Wayfarer uh, has Constellation, and Constellation cares about enchantments entering the battlefield. And whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Pious Wayfarer was the truth. Um, as you can see from, from these cards, there's also another common in white called Daybreak Chimera. That's three white, white for a 3-3 three, three with flying, and it costs X less to cast, where X is your devotion to white, meaning the number of white pips you have among permanents you control. Um, so you can get a cost reduction down to it just being two white for a 3-3 three, three flyer. White really wanted to be your base color. It didn't play well with like others, didn't play a support role very well, but it really played well with itself. Um, and that came from just loading up on pious wayfarers, then making all your other enchantments better because you got to, you know, aggro your opponents out using any flash enchantments, right? The fact that Omen of the Sun, which was basically raise the alarm attached to an enchantment, Omen of the Sun could trigger your pious wayfarer at instant speed. So you, you could turn that into a combat trick. The white decks in this format were really good. Yeah, Pious Wayfarer was awesome. I remember that being one of my favorite things to do in the format was draft white decks with Pious Wayfarer for sure. Absolutely. All right, you alluded to this sort of flash thing going on with blue. What's going on with its top commons? Yeah, so top commons, we've got Omen of the Sea coming in at number one. We've already talked about that. We've got Deny the Divine coming in at number two. This is the counter spell I talked about. It's two and a blue instant counter target creature or enchantment spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. There's that exile coming up again. And it is so, so important to exile things. Yeah, there's an awkward thing about blue. And it, as we said before, it's one of the weaker colors. It's the awkward thing about blue is that it's got this choke point at three mana. It has this sort of triumvirate of three mana things that you can cast on your opponent's turn. Vex and Gull, Deny the Divine. And then there was this card that we really thought was going to be like the hotness. And it wasn't. Thirst for Meaning <laughs> was uh, was two and a blue. Well, we were like, oh my God, it's Thirst for Knowledge in an enchantment set. So two and a blue for an instant, uh, draw three cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an enchantment card. Um, and so you had all these things you could do for three mana at, on your opponent's turn. 
Sometimes you could do the sweet thing with Naiad of Hidden Coves, which is two and a blue for a 2-3. As long as it's not your turn, spells you cast cost one less to cast, where you could play that on three. And then on turn four, you could cast two of those, you know, three mana things with Flash because Naiad was in play, making them each cheaper. But I think blue, you know, its best deck is blue-red, which is more of a tempo aggro style deck than anything else. Would you uh, agree with that? I I remember liking blue-green Constellation as well. Yeah, and I think there's blue-black control, but blue-red definitely was the best blue deck, for sure. Uh, Moving on to black, we've talked about two of its removal spells, Myers Grasp and Final Death. The third card on this list is Venomous Hierophant. This is three and a black for a 3-3 with Death Touch, and when it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards. Cannot stress enough how much this is basically four mana, three, three death touch, draw a card. You know, giving your escape cards three pieces of fuel, which a lot of the time was a full escape card. You know, most escape costs were exile three cards, sometimes exile four. So Venomous Hierophant effectively, if you, you know, you could mill one of your escape cards, but then adding three cards to your graveyard period was just like drawing a card. Yeah, card was bonkers for sure. And I want to give an honorable mention to Omen of the Dead, which is uh, the raised dead in the format. It's single black for the Omen cycle, so it's a flash enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you can return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and then has the tuna black sack scry. This card was really, really good, and there's a lot of combos, like, you know, Shimmerwing Chimera is one of the best uncommons to pick this up every turn, and you can, you know, go infinite there. There's a Lagana Band Storyteller, which is in white. It's a four mana, three, four that lets you take an enchantment from your graveyard, put it on top of your library so you can, like, loop that together. Much like a lot of formats where you've got, like, raised dead effects or, you know, dig up the body has loops, you you just want to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, and I just popped in my head looking at the blue cards while you you were talking about some black cards there. I want to dive back to blue for a second because we've had counterspells be good in Streets of New Capenna, right? And there's been discussion about like how to play counterspells, how to play around counterspells. You're going to face against blue decks in this format, your opponent holding up three mana. And you're going to think, well, they might have Deny the Divine. I don't want to play a creature. You can't not play into Deny the Divine. You have to play into Deny the Divine because if you choose to play nothing and your opponent sticks Vexing Gull or Omen of the Sea or whatever, you just get so, so, so punished. So maybe you don't play your best creature into the three open mana, but you you have to play into counter spells against blue decks. Yeah, there's just too many things. I think that's a really good point to make. There's too many things that your opponent can do at instant speed with blue mana that you just can't play around any of them. All right, so moving on to red cards here. We talked about Eroes' Blessing. That is the uh, enchantment-based removal spell. And so in the number two slot, we've got Omen of the Forge. This is one in a red for an enchantment with flash. When it ETBs, it deals two damage to any target. And it's got two in a red, sack it to scry two. And this, I think, was a card we were lower on early in the format and then came up on as we realized how good the sort of Traveler's Amulet plus Thrill of Possibility five-color good stuff deck was. And Omen of the Forge is really good defensive speed for those decks. Yes. And then in the number three slot, sort of a mix here of Incendiary Oracle as a good two drop, one on a red for a two two with smoke breathing. You can pay one on a red to give it plus one plus oh until end of turn. And if a creature dealt damage by Incendiary Oracle would die, exile it instead, which is really relevant. Yes. And then Skofos Warleader on the other end of the curve, five mana, four and a red for a four five. 
Minotaur Warrior, you can pay red, sacrifice another creature in enchantment, and it gets plus one plus oh and gains menace until end of turn. Card was just a house. I think shout out to you. You were like a big champion of this card. Four or five was like a really big body in the format. A single mana sack outlet, because sometimes there was like a steal and sack thing you could do in red black. Um, you could also just do a sacrifice thing in red black without stealing stuff. Um, being able to sack your omens that were just sticking around for one mana to give it menace. It made combat tough for your opponent. It was a good card. Yeah. So looking at this list. Questions I had, cards that really stuck out in my mind, I barely remembered Incendiary Oracle and Scophos Warleader. Rapid Flames was one that really stuck out to me. Three and a red, sorcery, deal one damage to each of up to three target creatures, and those creatures can't block this turn. That was not a top red common. Uh, not according to us, but also we didn't do a top list past like our fourth episode of the format. Um, we definitely talked about it in 50 takes because it's, you know, once you know that you're drafting red, white heroic, Rapid Flames is just about the best card for your deck. And at a certain point while playing red, white heroic, it's the only card you want to draw. So the reason is the reason you're playing Rapid Flames is not like to pick off a bunch of X ones. I mean, sometimes you get to do that. But the reason to play it is to get three ways to target your heroic creatures, which can give them all, you know, buffs or you know, plus one, plus one or plus one, plus oh, or whatever. Like that's usually the kinds of things you get from your heroic creatures. And so having a way to triple target them with one card was huge. Well, or you could mix and match, right? You could target right, one of right. your opponents and two of yours or two of your opponents and one of yours and use it kind of like a falter effect plus a pump your team kind of effect. I just remember it being really strong. Yeah, it's good. So, I mean, maybe it does uh, or deserve a top spot because of how important it is to one of those archetypes. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's why it's not in there because it's only great in that one archetype too. I just remember that sticking out in my mind. And then through mm -hmm. the possibility, the one in a red as an additional cost to cast it, you just discard a card, instant speed, draw two cards. That seems like it had to have been a top red comment, right? I think at some point we were talking about that as number two, right? Like it's, it's tough again because Thrill of Possibility is kind of a deck all of its own. And I guess we should talk about it now. I have it a little later, but might as well talk about it now. You know, what Ben is talking about doing in Streets of New Capeno with Big Score, you had to do it with two cards back in the day. Back in my day, we walked <laughs> uphill both ways to get our bombs in our deck, you know? So you had Thrill of Possibility plus Traveler's Amulet as your way to fix. So uh, Traveler's Amulet is a one mana artifact and you can pay one to sacrifice it and search up a basic land and put it into your hand. And so you have those two cards in tandem, the way you have big score of like, okay, I'm going to dig towards my bombs or discard my bombs when I can't cast them. And then amulet is going to help me fix my mana. You know, you play like 15 lands and three amulets or something like that. And and you really had a good deck. It sounds like junk, but it because of how good the bombs are at the top end of the set, that you really wanted to maximize those as best as possible. Yes. And in drafts that were messy, where you didn't get a clear lane, but maybe you picked up a good rare or you expected to maybe get past some good rares for some reason. That was definitely a route that you could go down. Bringing up the rear here in green. First up, we've got Warbriar Blessing. This is the fight spell. It's an aura. It's a one and a green for an aura. It gives enchanted creature plus O plus two. And when Warbriar Blessing enters the battlefield, enchanted creature fights up to one target creature you don't control. Yeah, I remember that being good. It was interesting looking at this list because that did not, the order we have them here did not match my memory. I had, I remembered for some reason, Loathsome Chimera being a lot of people's pick for the best green common by the end of the format. This was yeah. the, the card I alluded to when I explained escape, but I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, it was two <laughs> and a green for a four one. It has escape for four and a green. Exile three other cards from your graveyard, and then it escapes with a plus one plus one counter on it. 
Well, and the interesting thing is here, and I think I could definitely see these uh, being switched in the order. The other card we have on this list is Voracious Typhon, two green green for a 4-4. It has escape for five green green and exile four cards, and it escapes with three plus one plus one counters on it. So I think for a lot of the format folks were thinking Typhon was better than Chimera, but I actually think Chimera has the top spot for a couple of reasons. It's escape cost being cheaper both in mana, but also with the exile like exile three cards versus exile four cards is a big difference now here's the thing if you haven't played with escape yet you may be thinking as i did in the crash course well how often are we really going to be escaping in this format right maybe once a game no the answer is a lot the answer is the game becomes about how many times do you escape how much do you fuel your graveyard like if you're in that sort of escape matchup or if that's what your deck is doing and if you think about hey I'm going to have 12 cards in my graveyard throughout the course of the game. Well, that's the opportunity to escape Chimera four times versus only escaping Typhon three times. And that matters. Oh, man. Escape was so demoralizing. <laughs> you just describing that over and over. We're, <laughs> we're getting ready to get into our top uncommons, and we might as well talk about the top uncommon right now. This is Farika's Spawn. It's three and a black for a three four. It has an escape cost of five and a black. You exile three other cards from your graveyard, and it escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. And when it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-Gorgon creature. And it itself is a Gorgon, so it was important to specify because this card was the only card that mattered on the battlefield in a large <laughs> number of games. And yeah. when one person had it, unless you could exile it, they just kept casting it over and over and over and over. And it was terrible to play against. Right. I don't like the fact that this is eminently splashable is also wild that you could just play it. You'd be like, well, I'm going to play blue green, but I'm definitely splashing Farika's spawn because it's insane. Yeah card was obnoxious and escape also was obnoxious so we've talked about how important exiling is the reason is cards like Farika spawn the good escape creatures are just a nightmare to deal with unless you can exile them you just lose unless you can exile them next up a close but clear second place in the uncommons is elspeth's nightmare just two and a black for a saga but back before sagas didn't flip into creatures um so chapter one here is destroy target creature and opponent controls with power two or less Chapter two is you look at target opponent's hand and choose a non-creature, non-land card from it, and they discard it. And then chapter three, exile target player's graveyard. This card, if you got to pick off a two-drop, get a removal spell, and then exile their graveyard, that's basically a three-for-one. It was game. Card was game when that happened. <laughs> I mean, that really, it really was. Like, if, if you were, if you're on the draw... And, you're, and you played a two-drop, and then your opponent on the play played Elspeth's Nightmare. You, the game was basically over. <laughs> it really was, unfortunately. Yeah. Number three in the Uncommons, Entrancing Liar. This is three mana for the artifact. You can choose not to untap Entrancing Liar during your untap step. You can pay X, tap it, tap target creature with power X or less. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as Entrancing Liar remains tapped. Yeah, this was, as we've alluded to, it's a nice way to keep uh, Dream Trawler at bay, but also just a good, you know, removal spell that scales with the game, a way to interact with es escape creatures by not killing them, right? You're not exiling them, but you are like trapping them on the battlefield, which is important. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk, I remember at the beginning of the format about this maybe being too expensive or things like that. I This card was just very good. Uh, next up, we've got Shimmerwing Chimera, our preview card for the podcast. Ooh. Three and a blue for a 3-2 enchantment creature with flying. At the beginning of your upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment you control to its owner's hand. Um, 
you could just do tons of shenanigans, right? Picking up omens and replaying them for value, um, picking up Warbriar Blessing and continuing to pick off your opponent's creatures. I'm sure there's tons of other stuff I'm forgetting, but Shimmerwing Chimera was awesome. Yeah. And then lastly, number five, we have Gray Merchant of Asphodel, or as is more affectionately known, Gary Merchant of Asphodel. Uh, this is three black black for two four, and when it ETBs, it drains your opponent's life total equal to your devotion to black. Yeah, uh, upshifted rarity from common to uncommon um, from original Theros, which was a good move, but still awesome. And as you can see, three of these top five uncommons are all black. So black is really, really, really strong if you can get into it. Great. But again, still feels like a little bit of a game of chicken like white in Streets of New Capenna. We've slightly alluded to, but I think it's important to really hammer home this point about like the graveyard being a resource and why exile is important and just really hit home. You know, we talked about some of the cards that have escaped, like Loathsome Chimera and Voracious Typhon, that these cards are, um, you know, those escape cards, if they have escape three, then every card in your graveyard is a third of a card. That's the way you want to think about it. So Venomous Hierophant giving you three cards in your graveyard because it mills you three, right? Self-mill being really valuable. Thrill of Possibility, one of the reasons it's so good, not just because it does that sort of big score impression, but then it is going to end up in your graveyard, as well as the card you discarded. So it's sort of like it draws you, you know, normally Thrill of Possibility is neutral card, right? It's card parity. Well, it's really netting you like two thirds of a card because Thrill and another card are going to your graveyard to fuel escape. Which is like two thirds of one of your escape costs. Like if you just generalize the escape costs in the format being exile three cards from your graveyard. And it was like, you didn't, you could like overload with escape, right? Because it was sort of a hierarchy. If you were black, green, escape. You know, if you had Farika Spawn in your deck, that was the card that you always wanted to be escaping, right? So every card that was worse than Farika Spawn got worse because you were like, well, am I ever going to really be escaping Voracious Typhon? No, I don't want to use up those resources when I could be escaping Farika Spawn. But the flip side of that was that if you ended the draft and had no escape cards, you were in trouble, I think. It was a disaster, yes. The, the first escape card, no matter how bad it was, was very important to your deck. And I think worth talking about some of those like so sentinel's eyes we alluded to as that white aura that you could escape that's the, the plus one plus one in vigilance that is white's only escape card at common or uncommon and so that's part of the reason why it's so valuable not only because of the things ben talked about before if like vigilance is very good it triggers heroic it triggers constellation it's cheap whatever but then also the fact that it gives you an escape card is good the other card that was a real sleeper, not to, to make a pun, no <laughs> oh pun <God>. intended, so <laughs> I'd, I'm sorry, but it is, was Sleep of the Dead, which is single blue sorcery, tap target creature, it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step, and has escape for two and a blue, exile three cards. This card seems like a junker. That's what I thought of it at the start of the format. But blue, and blue-red specifically, doesn't have a lot of escape or good escape cards. And so Sleep of the Dead really goes up in value, especially as a good tempo play. You know, with four mana, you got to go, hey, tap that thing, it doesn't untap, and then cast it with its escape cost. So two blue-blue, tap two things, they don't untap. That could have just been game for some blue-red decks. Yeah, there was actually a really cool backdoor blue-red deck. This wasn't blue-red's plan A, but there were kind of some some late cards that you could wheel in blue and red that really worked well together so in tandem with sleep of the dead there was a card called towering wave mystic this was one and a blue for a two one and whenever it deals damage target player puts that many cards from the top of their library into their graveyard so you loaded up on towering wave mystics which almost always wheel they were a, a late pick blue common and then when they dealt damage you would mill yourself trying to find your sleep of the dead and then also while you're trying to find your sleep of the dead 
you would put fuel in the graveyard for your sleep of the dead. So that plus underworld rage hound, which is a red escape card that was also kind of a junker. It was a medium card. It was fine card. It was one in a red for a three one and attacked each combat if able and has escaped for three in a red to exile three of their cards from your graveyard and it escaped with a plus one plus one counter on it. So it escaped as a four two. Yeah. Yeah. Not super great. Like that must attack each combat could sometimes bite you in the butt because um, three one was, you know, a fragile ish body. But yeah, you didn't have a lot of escape options in blue red. That's what made these cards so good was like, well, I don't really have better options. So I want to make sure I have some ways to escape. Well, but the Rage Hound did hit hard though, right? So you then use Sleep yes. of the Dead to tap down your opponent's blockers. So there was kind of yes. this, this whole deck that was cards that weren't great, but all worked well, you know, to try to get your opponent dead. I bet this kind of deck is going to be good in best of one. I would think so. It's certainly not going to be highly drafted at the start of the format would be my guess. Right. So I do I do feel like this is a good backdoor. Like this is a good backdoor. Uh, the, the Pious Wayfarer base white decks are good decks to get into those are probably going to be a little bit more popular would be my guess because i imagine pious wayfarer is going to like rise up the ranks of the 17 lands data early but i would imagine these cards less so i remember at the start of the format this was when kyle rose was really in his heyday of just like forcing archetypes over and over mm. and over and i just remember him drafting blue red non-stop at the start of theros beyond death and he was really the person that found out how good rap and flames was yes yeah for sure yeah i i do remember that as well um we should talk about Return to Nature um, as a card in this format that is actually main deckable. Um, this is one on our green for an instant. You choose one, destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or exile target card from a graveyard. So obviously it's an enchantment set, so there will be enchantments floating around to kill. There's obviously some artifacts, not a ton, but like Entrancing Lyre is something worth blowing up, for instance. Shadow Spear, something worth blowing up, for instance. But also just you know, nabbing your opponent's escape card from their graveyard before they get to escape it is pretty darn powerful. Yeah, you cannot exile in response to them paying the escape cost, though, right? Correct, right. You have to exile it before they cast it, because once they cast it, it's on the stack, right? And we again, if you haven't played with escape, it's not like flashback. You are casting it from the graveyard. So doing so, we'll put it on the stack. Right. And then when it dies, it goes back to the graveyard for it to escape again. again. And again, again. <laughs> yep. oh Ben, are you fe- how are you how are you feeling? You feeling slightly ill right now? I feel slightly stressed, but I was also when you were talking about navigating drafts and getting deep into one color, I was like feeling a breath of fresh air. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be way nicer than Streets of New Capenna. Maybe I will play this more. <laughs> We'll see. We've we'll got see. it all. I've got all the emotions inside me right now. <laughs> you love it. You laughed. You cried. You love to see it. Uh, anything else? What we, t- we talked about red, white, heroic. We talked about blue, red, maybe black, white enchantments as a deck. I really liked Black White Enchantments. So Pious Wayfarer was great here. That's the the one, two that has Constellation when an enchantment enters the battlefield. Um, you can give a creature plus one, plus one, mostly because you could do a lot of enchantments with Flash, at instant speed. You know, you had those omens as combat tricks. And then Black White's gold uncommon is Rise to Glory. It's three white black, and it lets you return a creature from your graveyard to your hand and or an enchantment from your graveyard to your hand, which sounds awesome, but... One of the issues was it was occasionally because black and white tended to be the best colors and tended to be contested was difficult to get copies of the best enchantments, which were Myers Grasp and Dreadful Apathy. So you Mm -hmm. really wanted to make sure that you had this is my memory that you had copies of Myers Grasp and Dreadful Apathy before you were picking rise to glory pretty highly yeah I, i agree with that for sure and you could you know you could draft a more aggressive 
version of this deck being base white. And then you could, I think, draft a more grindy version the more that your deck slanted to black. And like, you know, if you did have, if you were more removal heavy and you had Rise to Glory, you know, this is a deck where I think Heliod's Pilgrim shined as well. Um, so I definitely remember this deck being good. And, and the fact that it had multiple flavors was pretty sweet. Do you think these three decks were the three best decks in the format? Red, white, black, white, blue, red? Is that your memory? That is not my memory. Those I just have here as extra archetypes. Red, white is probably one of the best, right? But like, I mean, black, black anything is the best deck. Like black, green, even though green doesn't add much, it does add something. I liked black, red. I liked black, white. I mean, if I can be a black deck, that's the best deck in the format. So how do you remember black, red playing out? So there was an act of treason variant, right? Portent of betrayal. I think it was four mana, steal the thing, and you scried one. So there was like a steal and sack thing. And black has a lot of sacrifice stuff. There's like Lampad of Death's Vigil, which is one in a black for an enchantment creature. It's a one three, and you could pay one to sack another creature to drain your opponent. So you could do like steal and sack shenanigans. You could also just do sacrifice for value stuff to like, you know, get some drains and whatever, and then recur your creatures. Um, but I, I remember being less about steel and sack and more about a, a grindy deck and not a tier one archetype, I don't think. Yeah, and I would say past those black decks, I do think blue, red and red, white are definitely the two best non black decks. I think so. Yeah, I, I would put red, white as the best non black deck and then blue, red and like yeah, green, red was like a power four matters. And that was not really something you wanted to do. Green, blue had a really good signpost uncommon Utropia, which was, uh, I think, one green, blue for a two, two or two, three. And it had constellation to give a creature plus one plus one and flying until end of turn, or maybe put a plus one plus one counter on it. And it got flying until end of turn. So like that card was super, super powerful. But otherwise, blue, green wasn't super good. I will always have a soft spot for red green in this format. The so the golden common is Warden of the Chained. That's one red green for a four four trample, and it can't attack unless you control another creature with power four or greater. That was kind of red green's theme was power four matters. I will never forget going to GP New Jersey <laughs> when we we had our sealed decks and my deck was atrocious and had like two Warden of the Chains. And every round I would just keep coming up to you and be like, Well, I somehow won another game of magic with this terrible sealed deck. That, honestly, if we go beyond like thinking about black cards and thinking about escape or whatever, thinking about Dream Trawler, the thing I will remember is, so Ben and I went to GP New Jersey, this was right before the pandemic hit, um, we played a last chance trial, we played the, the same last chance trial on the Friday that we got there, and we both 4-0'd that, managed to not find each other in the finals, so we both got the 4-0 out of that pod, so we both got two buys for the GP, and then Ben's pool was horrible and my pool was nuts i had like the dream <laughs> black green escape deck with like four excellent rares and like just just a great curve that came over to ben and he's like I've, my deck is unplayable and he also went we both went eight one on day one and i just couldn't believe it it felt like anything less than eight one would have been embarrassing for my deck but like every win you had i was like how is he doing this I what is know. he doing I, I ran so hot and i made all the right decisions i built my deck perfectly and ran super hot and got super lucky it was it was ridiculous and honestly you and i played games before the tournament started and i just could never beat your deck but if we hadn't played those games playing those games helped me understand what my deck had to do to win. Like I would not have done as well as I did if we hadn't played those games before the tournament started. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. I, I don't remember hearing that. Yeah. So that will, I will always have a soft spot for red, green, warden of the chained in Theros beyond death. 
<laughs> uh, so any other any other parting thoughts for Theros coming back from the dead this week? Um, I'm excited to see how I feel about it drafting. I could see <laughs> me liking it a lot. If I'm on this big score kick, I could see me just like jamming Thrill of Possibility, Traveler's Amulet nonsense decks. I also really liked the play patterns in, in Black, White, and Blue, Red. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to secretly love this format when it comes mm-hmm. back. The thing that was surprising to me, because I didn't remember this, I remember, you know, not liking this format very much. Going back and listening to our 50 Takes episode, and I listened to our Threats on Board, Theros Beyond Death stands for Threats on Board episode, and I was shocked at how much we were praising this format for its gameplay. That, like, the gameplay was really good, and that small decisions mattered. Now, I wonder if Best of One will take away some of that, because a lot of those things get compounded, and you don't get to, you know, sideboard or whatever, um, but I'm also excited. I feel like I've got a lot of good, like I understand, okay, here's like the tier one strategies and I understand the back doors to getting into, you know, whatever white, red heroic or blue, red tempo or thrill of possibility bombs. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for the week to come. Yeah, I think it'll be sweet. And I think it'll be sweet to see too. This is probably one of the first formats that like we went really deep on and have all these lists of cards. And then to see, I am very curious to yeah. see how the data matches up with our opinion opinions of what the top things were like if we if we correctly pegged the format pre-data after the data comes out that will be super interesting to me i think whatever that'll be two weeks from now so that'll be when we do our 50 takes episode i wonder if it might be worth just like checking in at the start of 50 takes to see if there were any big surprises from the data after we get get a big dump for the week of theros yeah i am also super just data specifically curious about where thrill is going to land in the data like is it going to have terrible data but actually be a good card you know because people don't know how to use it or Uh will people figure it out and it actually have a good a good data card i think if thrill has good data i might actually start to trust data you say that you've said that many times before you go oh if if this is in the top commons (laughs) i'll have to eat my words and then it is and then you never do yeah you're right Okay, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.